Sweetie Dara Mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 57, Q&A with Kay part two. So you guys love the Q&A and I could do this literally for the next 50 episodes because I get so many emails and so many questions and I wish I could answer them all via email. I try to do them via voice memo or I try to answer them all in the parenting bootcamp, whether with my videos or going live or having Lily or Grady come in and help me. So keep them coming and I can keep featuring them and I can also answer them in the parenting bootcamp in my lives or I can add content to the parenting bootcamp to answer those questions, if that makes sense. And we have a review from Ace Ram, and thank you so much for writing the reviews because I'm telling you, every single week, my brain says, nope, not this week, we're gonna skip. It's okay, you can do a podcast once a month, once every other week. You don't have to do once a week. Let them catch up to the 55 that you've already done. But I show up because of you all, so this is really our podcast. Ace Ram said, I heard about Kelly's podcast through the Facebook June Parenting Bootcamp. Kelly, thank you for paying it forward. I no longer have mommy guilt. You have lit a fire in me. Not only am I taking care of myself by exercising, being thankful, etc., I'm being a more conscious parent and being more vulnerable. Honestly, there is more harmony in the home. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you, Ace Ram. Oh, I love that. And what happened with me in 2013 when I started this journey is that my coach, she didn't know how much I was struggling, but she lit the match in me. And so now my job is to run around like a crazy loon and help people who have their matchsticks up. And not everybody does, and that's okay. My matchstick wasn't up for a very long time because I was just sleepwalking through life. I was just going through the motions. I felt stuck. I didn't know that I was in a cage. I felt I was in a cage. I loved my husband. I loved my kids. But I felt very stuck, and I felt like lake water that was very shallow, and it was just stagnant. And I was like, I guess this is what life's all about. I was just going through the motions and the treadmill of life was going at speed eight or nine, 10, and I could only handle two, three, four. I wasn't enjoying any of it because my mind was so on autopilot. I didn't even know about mind management. I literally thought that my circumstance caused my feeling. I thought David was causing my feelings. I thought my kids were causing my feelings. I thought my messy house was causing my stress. I didn't know about that thoughts caused my feelings. I know that sounds crazy. But I literally thought if I could just change Lily, Grady, and David and my house, that I would be happier. So it was pretty much their fault that I wasn't happy. And I literally thought I should be happy all the time. I didn't even know about the other side of the emotions. And then I found the conscious parenting. I found Brooke's work. I found the model. And I'm like, oh, it's 50-50. No wonder. I don't need to buffer all these feelings away. This is part of the human experience. And so I was able to experience it first, my 50-50, my disappointment, my anxiety, my sadness, my bummer energy. And so the more I allowed it, the less it happened. And then I gave that same gift to my kids. And now I'm helping other people do the same thing. So my coach lit my match. And now I'm running around. I feel like I'm one of those torch runners in the Olympics when they run from torch to torch to light the different torches. I feel like I'm running around with my matchstick. And all I want to do is help you light your match. Whatever area you need help with. If you need help with weight loss, I'm your girl. I can hook you up, Buttercup. If you need help with your parenting, 
Listen in. I am here. I am ready to serve. I'm ready to help. That is all I think about. If you want a more organized house, I only know because I used to live like a hoarder and my husband's a neatnik. Imagine the problems that that caused. If you want to have more fun in your marriage, if you want to build a business, if you want to start a podcast, I'm your girl. I've been doing this since 2013. I know how to do it and I know how to do it with B minus and I know how to fail forward and I know how to do it sloppy and messy, but get her done and not from a perfectionist point of view, not from an all or nothing point of view. I have so many people that I help lose weight. And if they have one bad meal or miss one workout, they just give up on everything. It's like stopping because you have one flat tire and then going around and popping all the other three instead of fixing the tire that's flat. The all or nothing with parenting or with your marriage or with your house. I love the analogy by my trainer, Autumn. She says, you know, when you miss a workout or you don't eat the way you want to that certain day, it's kind of like your relationship if you're married. If Dave and I have an argument, we don't go back to dating. We don't start all over and he has to court me all over again. No big deal. Everything's NBD. What did it bring up for me? What did it bring up for him? Move on. The love is at the core. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's no big deal. And you want to be triggered. You're going to look forward to the moment when you're being triggered because you're like, what else is there? Show me my blind spots. Where are my daddy issues? Where are my mommy issues? Where are my issues from third grade? Show it all to me because the more you bring it into light, the less hold it has on you then your palms are up for the lessons versus your fists being up. There's no tug of war anymore. And you know that the people within your four walls, they love you the most. So they are the safest to be most vulnerable with. You chose your spouse. As far as I know, unless you're in an arranged marriage, you chose your spouse and you chose to have children. So this is all something that we opted into. So if we opt into it, it's kind of like when we get emails from someone and we keep getting a lot of emails and we're like, why am I getting all these emails from earrings.com? oh, that's right, I opted in. I chose all of this. I chose this email. I opted into the earrings.com. So if you opted into your marriage and you opted into having kids, or if you're raising foster kids, or if you're raising your niece and nephew, or if you're raising your grandchildren, you opted in. So when you opt into the emails, then it's like, let's show up. It's like signing up for a knitting class and then complaining that the knitting class is hard. It's supposed to be hard. Knitting is new. Parenting is new. I tell my kids all the time, I've only been a parent for 12 years. I think they think that when they came to me, I've always been a parent. Like they don't really understand like life before them and they shouldn't. But I'm always reminding them that this is just one big wag. This is one way to do your life. And my only job to teach them is emotional literacy. So getting back to the questions, my friend Jenny says, when I'm out in public, I really worry about my son's behavior as I feel it reflects on my poor parenting skills. Holy moly donut shop. Did I not think that all the time? I'd be walking through Walmart or Target, or Publix. And when my kids were crying when they were little, I would always make excuses for them. So everybody else didn't think I was a bad mom because I was so afraid of being a bad mom. So I parented from this fear-based place. And that's what was making me, quote unquote, a bad mom. There is no such thing as a bad mom unless you don't care. If you don't care, then you're a bad mom. But if you care enough to care if you're a good mom or a bad mom, that automatically pops you into, I'm a good mom. So we're not using our kids as a barometer for how we're doing. And I used to do this, so I know. I would walk through Walmart and they'd be crying and I'd say, oh, I know you're hungry. Oh, you ready for nap time? I know it's hard. You're so tired, aren't you? I was making excuses for them having human experience. And just know when you're thinking what other people are thinking, that's really a very good mirror into what you're thinking about yourself. Because when you know that you're a good mom at your core and you know that you're kicking booty at this parenting thing, then you have this sense of confidence that other people can think different things and it's okay for them to be wrong about you. 
It's the pink hair analogy. It's okay for them to be wrong about you. And another thing, I want to reassure you, they're not thinking about you as much as you think they are. You know what they're thinking when they see your crying child? I'm glad that's not my kid right now. I'm glad I'm not up. It's kind of like when you go to the, uh, if you ever go to a furniture store and then the salesperson comes up, they were next in line. And then the next time you go, it's someone else. Next time, someone else. Or someone else walks behind you, it's someone comes up. They're all standing in line waiting for the next customer. And so when a parent sees another parent with a screaming child at Target, Walmart, it's almost like, oh, I'm glad it's not my, my turn to be up. Like they are giving you grace and love and appreciation that is not them. So give that grace and appreciation to yourself. Because if you've ever heard a baby crying on the airplane, you don't think, oh my gosh, that baby is such a B-R-A-T. I can't believe that baby. Those parents love. You're not thinking any of that. You're like, oh, that poor kid. Oh, it must be so hard for his ears. That's so tough. You're having compassion and grace for the child because they're struggling because they're on the plane and they're confined to a chair or they have to wear earmuffs because the popping. So you have compassion and grace for the child and you also have compassion and grace for the parent because you're like, oh, I know what it's like to travel with a baby. Ooh, that is tough stuff. You might not say it to them, but you're saying it to yourself about them. So when you start to clean up how you're thinking and talking to yourself, you will only imagine other people saying the same things because you'll have grace and compassion for your child on the airplane, and then you'll have grace and compassion and empathy for yourself on the airplane. Not from a place of victim, I'm not good enough, I'm terrible mom. It's like, no, I'm kicking booty at this. And then you come with this confident, assertive energy, and your kids can do whatever they want, and you will always respond the same. Everything is NBD. You're going to take the fire out of their storm. You're going to take the fire out of their sparkler. You know the sparklers that they use at fireworks? They're on fire, and you're going to help them get out of the burning building. They're on a bumpy ride. You're going to be the flight attendant. You're at a concert, and there's feedback on the mic. What do you do? You look straight to the DJ. Help us, DJ. This hurts our ears. Boom. You're going to be the DJ. Your child falls on the playground, and you know it's a hard fall, and you're super calm because everything's no big deal because you know if you freak out, they'll freak out. Same idea. Physical pain and emotional pain is the exact same scenario because the calmer you are, you're going to teach them. Just like if your kid falls down on the playground. Let's say they fall down in the backyard. You know it's a hard fall. You stay calm. You might whisper to your friend, oh, that was a tough one. Let me help her out. She's crying. She's, oh, I bet that was so hard. I bet that was so scary. I bet that hurts. Ow. Let's go inside and get it cleaned up. So you go inside and get it cleaned up. Then you're showing them where the band-aids are, where the neosporin is, where the peroxide is. If you use peroxide, you're showing them how to care for their boo-boo when they're three years old. So what happens when they're older? They know where the band-aids are. They know where the peroxide is. They know where the neosporin is. And they handle their boo-boos on their own. And then when their boo-boo's really big, they'll come to you because it's too much for them. Lily the other day was walking Maggie and Maggie pulled her and the leash gave her kind of rope burn on her finger. And she called me crying. I'm like, oh, how scary. Come home. I can't wait to help you. I'm so sorry that happened. When they're upset, you agree and you help them just like you would if they fell down and had physical pain. The other day, I was totally catastrophizing. I was having the red zone. I was flipping out because we still don't know what's really going on with school in the fall. So I was borrowing worry. I was catastrophizing. I was doing all the things. I started to get super stressed out. There's all these rumors flying around. What are we going to do? What's going to happen with Lily and Grady? What's best for them? And I started panicking. And David could sense my energy change. He says, are you okay? And I just unload. I just started bawling. And I was crying. And I'm like, I just don't know. And I don't know. And I don't know. And imagine if in that moment, my sweet husband would have said, Kelly, get over it. You're overreacting. Which I was, by the way. I was making up all these stories and scenarios in my mind and going like taking a ride with these crazy stories 
and then getting myself even more upset. I was getting so worked up, just like your kids do when they're upset about something. So if he would have said, you need to stop, get over it. You're being a baby. You're overreacting. Chill out. Stop it. Act your age. He would have said those things to me. Do you know how much disconnection that would have created? He said, I know. It's a lot of unknown. He just kept repeating back to me. And he like got me out of the red zone and he didn't even know he was doing it. He's like, we're just going to do our best and we just have to know that we're going to make the decision when we find out what's going on. There's so much unknown right now. It's so scary. And I was like, (laughs) like, if you could have seen me, it was like diffuse, diffuse, diffuse. And then I was like, oh, that felt amazing. I felt so light and so airy afterwards. My eyes were all puffy, but I felt so much better. And then I could think rationally. It was like I was drunk on emotion. I was drunk on fear. And he just helped me like kind of hold the space and get me through it. He didn't even know he was doing it. But imagine if he would have done the opposite. First of all, if we would have been a reality TV show and someone would have been listening to that, they'd be like, that dude is insensitive. He's a J-E-R-K. How could he treat his wife that way? So think about when you're upset. That's the same way your kids feel when they're upset. What you need is the same thing they need. So just know that your report card for parenting comes from your side of the street and your side of the street only because your paper is the only paper you can control. Do not look at their papers. Do not go around their side of the street. Do not use them as a pawn to make you feel like a good mom or a bad mom. Because however you feel about yourself as a mom, you will go find evidence for. So if you feel like you're a bad mom, or I used to call myself a loser mom, I'm just a loser mom. I'm a hot mess express. I'm on the struggle bus. So I told myself that over and over and over. So then I guess what happens? I went out and looked for evidence of that and I found it. Oh, believe you me, I found it. But that wasn't very fun for me. So when you talk to yourself the way you want your kids to talk to themselves, then it becomes more fun because then you're finding more evidence for how you're doing well because you're focused on your side of the street. This is super empowering. I remember having the eureka moment. Wait a hot stinking minute because I spent years trying to change Lily, Grady, and David. I'm like, wait a minute. Are you telling me that if I'm the problem, then that means I'm the solution? Because Lily, Grady, and David were definitely the problem in my mind. So I tried to change them. I tried to change them. Didn't work. I don't know if you ever try to change another human being, even the kids, it doesn't work. But when you focus on your side of the street, then they're a giant mirror back to you. The next question is from Savannah. She says, how do I raise my son to be respectful and responsible? Oh, I love this question. Whenever you want a trait for your child to become happy, confident, kind, responsible, respectful, friendly, outgoing, introverted, whatever you want them to become, The greatest and fastest path for that is to model and embody it for yourself first. How am I showing up being responsible? Am I doing my chores the way I say I'm going to be doing my chores? Sometimes we put such lofty words on our kids, but then we're not doing it ourselves. Like if we're worried our kids are addicted to electronics. Well, instead of focusing on their electronics, how am I handling my electronics? If we're worried about them being late for everything, well, am I on time for everything? This is very hard to look within. The ego does not want to do that. No, 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 no. Is my child a mess? Why can't we ever find his shoes? What about my keys? Do I always know where my keys are and my phone are? So then you can have grace and compassion because you're like, oh, you're just like me. You're a mirror to me of showing where I need to grow, but not using this work to beat yourself up. Sometimes I see people using this work and they're like, yep, and they just pile on even more and they're harder on themselves. And when the harder you are on yourselves, the harder you're going to be on your kids. And that is a lose-lose. The nicer and kinder and softer you are to yourself, then you will be that nice and kind to your child. Doesn't mean you're pushover. Doesn't mean you're doormat. It means that you are modeling and embodying the exact traits you want them to absorb from you. 
and then you let go of the rest. And then you catch them being responsible. You catch them being kind. You catch them being respectful. And then you reinforce that. Remember when you were potty training them, if you've already potty trained your kids, because we have all ages listening to this podcast. But remember when you were potty training your kids and when they went pee-pee on the potty or they went poo-poo on the potty, you did the potty dance. You did the potty party. You called your grandparents. You called the husband at work. You called the wife at work. You flipped out. There might have been balloons. There might have been blowhorns. You went bonkers. Yay! Okay, that was a little high-pitched. But you get my point. You had the potty party. It might have been bigger sometimes. It might have been just a, that's awesome, dude. High five. That was your potty party. But the reason why you were doing that is because you wanted to reinforce the potty experience, that this is a good experience. So the same thing works when you catch your kids being responsible and catch them being respectful and you catch them being kind and you catch them being loving. You reinforce that. That was so amazing. That's why I love the Hutchison hot seat, because that's another great way to reinforce what you want to see versus you don't want to see. So, so many times I get asked, how do I get my kids to listen? I'm like, you catch them listening, you set them up for listening, and then you reinforce that versus like, you never listen, you never listen. Whatever you tell your kids, whatever you label them as in your brain, you will verbalize that and then they will become that. Kind of like when Grady was getting trouble in first grade because he was all over the map and he wasn't very responsible and he was forgetful and he was like, Mr. Magoo. And you know where he got that from? Me, because I'm like Mrs. Magoo. And so I set the lunchbox at the door, through the doorway, he had to practically trip over it. I set him up for success, and then I reinforced how responsible he was, how organized he was. His room was a train wreck, but I found one little area. I'm like, whoa, dude, look how organized you are over here. How did you do that? Well, I just did that. Well, let's do the other area of the room. How about you do the books, and I'll do the puzzles? Or do you want to do the puzzles, then I'll do the books? It's totally up to you. And then I would ask him, how do you organize the books? Sometimes I just throw them in a big pile. And, he, and so it's the first time he's ever thought of it versus, listen, you need to do it this way. And this is the only way. And this is the only way. And like, let him come up with the idea. And then they kind of figure it out. And then they teach you. And then you learn their way. And then you reinforce. You do the potty dance. You catch them doing what you want to see versus what you don't want to see. It's kind of like when I was teaching and that little boy, Mark, he whispered under his breath, I feel like she's always mad at us. And I was like, oh, what are you talking about? How can that be? And I believed him because I was always saying, sit on your bottom, raise your hand, stop calling out, stop hitting your friend, stop cutting, stop, 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 stop. And so it was such a negative energy that I was always telling them what not to do. Instead, I was like, look at you sitting on your bottom. Look at you, girlfriend. That's amazing. High five. Then what did all the 19 kids do? They're like, boom. Your kids want your approval. Your kids want your acceptance. They want to feel seen. They want to feel heard. They want to feel loved. They want to feel safe. They want to know that they matter. They will do well when they can. Dr. Ross Green, his famous line from The Explosive Child, kids do well when they can. So when they can do well, they like to do well. If they're not doing well, then use it as information. Use it as data. Use it as a way to get curious instead of getting furious. Because the ego is going to make it all about you and where you're failing as a parent versus, oh, this kid just needs a little more help in this area. This kid needs a little more strategies. If a kid's struggling in math, we help him with strategies. The strategies that we're teaching aren't working. So we teach him some different strategies. Then we ask him, how do you solve this problem? And then we can kind of get into their brain to see how they solve this math problem. Like, oh, that's not a way that I've been teaching a lot. I need to teach that more often. 
So the same way you get super curious about if a child's struggling in school with an academic subject, you get that same curiosity with their behavior. Why are they melting down? Why are they screaming their head off? And then you check your side of the street. Am I melting down? Am I screaming my head off? And if the answer is yes, boom, that's so easy to change because we're focused on our side of the street. If you are staying calm, then you get even more curious. You take it to the next level. What's happening with this child? What will help him? What will help her to manage her emotions, to manage his emotions? Am I managing my emotions? Do I know what to do when I'm angry? So you get super curious about how you do it. It's like monkey see, monkey do. And the last question comes from Andrea. She says, how do I get my three-year-old guy to understand that sometimes mommy just needs a few minutes alone to recharge? He follows me literally everywhere, and I try to get him to play alone just for a minute, and he just wants constant attention and energy. I love spending time with him, but he doesn't ever rest. No naps, no just relaxing. It's all energy all day, every day. Even if I'm trying to do dishes, he brings all of his toys into the kitchen and makes a huge mess. I'm exhausted. Oh, girl, I remember these days when they were three. They are all five love languages all day long. What I like to do when my kids were this age is sometimes they get really needy and graspy and they know that like mom is kind of like making time for me, but she doesn't really want to hang out with me kind of thing. So a lot of times when I'm spending time with them, I'm all in and we'd set a timer. Okay, mommy's going to play with you for 20 minutes and then the timer's going to go off and then I have to go do the dishes for 10. Or should we do you play with mommy for 10 minutes and then I do the dishes for 20? This is just an example. So get super curious instead of getting furious, and I don't think you're getting furious, you're just exhausted by the constant needing of your love and your attention, and that is completely normal. And I promise you, it will get less and less and less. And the more that you allow it, the less it will happen, if that makes sense. Because when you're engaged with them and you set timers and you let them be in charge of, okay, we have this hour, mommy needs to get this stuff done, and you need to get this stuff done. You wanna play this, so we have an hour. How do you wanna break down the time? Now, they're not really good at math, so you just throw numbers at them or you use the timer so that it's a very physical thing. Or you say when the first number on the clock looks like this, or you set the Alexa and you're going to let the child take control a little bit, but within a framework that works for you. So mommy has to get the stuff done. So do you want to play for 15 minutes or 20 minutes? And then mommy has to get the stuff done. And then you let them choose because you don't care if they choose 15 or 20 or choose 13 and 18. Give them choices so they feel a little bit in control of the situation versus always having to follow you around and being needy and graspy. So then they choose the time. You set the timer. You set the Alexa. You, do, you let them do it all. They choose it, but it's a win-win for you. And then when the timer goes off, then you go do your thing. Okay, mommy's going to do this for 40 minutes or 30 minutes. Which do you prefer? I'm going to choose 40 minutes. I'm going to choose 30 minutes. So then they choose. You don't care if they choose 30 or 40 minutes. And then you're letting them control the raffia a little bit more. Because when they get needy and graspy, the reason why they do that is because they're afraid that it's not going to come back. And it being you, your attention, your love, that connection. It's kind of like when Lily was like four or five and she was such a good sharer when her friends would come over for playdates. But then with her brother, she wouldn't give him the time of day as far as sharing. As soon as he had it, she wanted it. And maybe she was six or seven. And so I pull her aside. I'm like, listen, chicken, what's going on, girl? I got curious, not furious. 
And again, not in the moment. D-N-E, do not engage in the red zone. So it was a calm waters. I'm like, how can you share with your friends when they come over? I mean, you are like share Wonder Woman when they come over. But with Grady, if he wants something for like two minutes and you know his attention span, he was very little, is very short. So you know it's gonna be over before it started, which is our least favorite saying. I'm like, you know he's not gonna play with it very long. You know he's not gonna ruin it. And then you know he's just gonna play with it for the Elmo for two minutes and then drop it. So what's the, what's the deal, girl? So I got super curious. I asked her and she had the best answer. It made so much sense. She says, when I'm playing with my friends that are my age, I know that I'm playing with my friends that are my age. I know that I'm going to get that toy back and they're not going to break it. But sometimes when I'm playing with Grady, I don't know if I'm ever going to get it back. So that sense of losing it forever is what she was saying of why she was so gimme gimme with her stuff when it came to him because he was younger. So your child might feel the same way or sometimes children feel the same way. Like I got to get it now and I got to get my hit of oxygen because I don't know if it's going to come back. So when you give them timers or you set up a schedule or you have like independent time versus mommy time or puzzle time or, you know, sometimes you can do parallel play where you're on the computer while they're coloring. When you let the child kind of take control of the raffia a little bit more, then they feel not so needy and graspy and they're like, oh, she's going to come back. So when my kids were having problems sharing when they were little, they would set the timer for five minutes. So instead of saying, can I use that? They'd say, can I use that for five minutes? And just adding on that one little sentence, adding on that one little trick helped so much for both of them because they knew that like, yeah, you can borrow it, but it's not yours for keepsies. And you can have it for five minutes, but then after five minutes, I need it back. And usually when the five minutes was up, it was already on the ground. But that was just reassurance that if I give this precious toy up, I'm gonna get it back. And so I taught them to say it to each other And so with your children, you kind of do the same thing. You let them know that not only do you have it now, it's coming later. I'm just taking a little break. Kind of like when they cry so much when you drop them off at preschool because they don't know if you're ever coming back. So those tears are real because their brains are very little and they're very undeveloped. And that's the way they're supposed to be. So nothing has gone wrong. Your child loves you dearly and he loves that connection. So take it as a huge compliment and then figure out a win-win. That's a win for you and a win for him. Keep sending in your questions. I love answering them. I love you all. And thank you so much for making this podcast so much fun for me. And I hope it's as much fun for you. I love you guys. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, mamas. Thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.